Well, good morning. I don't know if you felt like me, but I didn't want to stop singing. Could have just kept right on going. Um, but we should look at the word too. So, but thank you. That was just wonderful. They, they they just never get old, do they? They just never get old. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Ruth chapter three. We're actually going to scoot through two chapters this morning, and all in a short period of time by the grace of God. So. Hold on to your seats. Um, I have some dear friends back home. Tim, Tim knows them, the Wahlbergs. Um, and um, Jean is, she has a great personality. She just, she makes me laugh. She's hyper half the time and she's just, she's a really funny person. But when she was in college, um, she wanted to get the attention of the man that became her husband, Brian. And um, she didn't quite know how to do it, so she, she came up with this scheme. He was a football player, and a good one at that. So she got on a skateboard on the college campus, and the plan was to skateboard right in front of him and to wipe out right in front of him so that, you know, he would pick her up and things would happen from there. And she'd schemed about it for a while, and so this is exactly what she did. She came barreling down, and right, he was with a group of football players. They were coming in to eat. Um, and, and she wiped out right on the ground, and wouldn't you know it, some other guy ran over to her first. <laughs> um, so anyway, they did end up getting married. The whole thing kind of worked out, but she, she's just one of those kinds of p- p- persons who kind of came up with this unusual scheme to meet a person. When you come to Ruth chapter 3, the scheme goes way beyond that. Remember, Naomi is back in the land with Ruth, her daughter-in-law. And their, their first big problem was survival, food. And that was taken care of in chapter 2. God, in his good grace, connected them up with Boaz. It wasn't happenstance. It was God's providence and love. And he provided enough grain for them for an entire year. Well, when you come to the end of chapter 2... We find out that the barley season is running for about seven or eight weeks. And every day, Ruth is getting up and going into the fields and gleaning and bringing all the barley and the wheat. It's been wonderful. And Naomi has been thinking for seven weeks. Boaz. Relative. Rich. Kind. Godly. Older. He's probably 50 plus. Ruth's probably 25-ish. So yeah, older. And she's scheming about this whole thing. And, and with that in mind, you come to that, the end of that seven weeks and we open up with chapter three. And she's not thinking of food anymore. She's thinking of relationships, isn't she? Notice what chapter three and verse one says. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Now, Naomi has really changed, hasn't she? When she came back, she said, I'm bitter. Don't even call me sweetie. Don't call me Naomi. Call me bitter. By the time you get to the end of chapter 2, she says, there is a God who is blessing me. And she's coming to see that. And now in chapter 3, she turns her attention to Ruth, and she says, Ruth, 
I want to provide for you. I'm not going to live forever. And I would like there to be a man in your life. So that's what she's, she's looking to set up a marriage here, a wedding. Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women y- you were? Is he not our close relative? So here's her scheme. Now, let me read the scheme. I have to tell you, I have never, this goes way beyond what Jean does. But listen to this, because here's what he wants to do. He wants to hook up Ruth with Boaz in a way that Boaz will know, yeah, I really want you to marry her. She really wants to marry you. Look at what he does. And does it, if this doesn't set you back on your heels a little bit, then you're, you're just not listening. Okay, but listen, listen to what he does. Here's what it is. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. You have all this barley, you know, and they're going to make sure that the kernels are just the kernels and the chaff is all gone. And this is a time to celebrate at the end of the harvest and also a time to kind of protect everything that you, you've, you've gathered. So listen to what it says. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. And put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It's a time to celebrate. So they get to the end, the grain piled up, and they eat and they drink, and it's kind of a nice, nice night. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So, like, what are you thinking if you're Ruth about this time? I don't know about you, but I'd be saying, like, you what? <laughs> Wouldn't you? I mean, you want me to go down and, like, he's covered and I uncover him and I'm just, like, laying there beside him? You know, he's had, he's had a great day. He's eaten. He's drunk. I mean, like, do you know what this all means? Or he's been drinking. I'm not saying he's drunk, but he was drinking. Uh, do you know what, what, what does all this mean? Look at what Ruth says in response. It's unbelievable. Verse 5. And she replies, all that you say I will do. This woman is stellar off the charts. I mean, here's a woman that comes back. And when Naomi is so discouraged, Naomi does nothing in chapter 2. Ruth steps out and takes a risk and says, I'm going to go glean in fields. I know it could be a problem. I know young men could do things inappropriate, but we've got to do it. And Naomi says, okay, whatever, go. And Ruth risks. Now in chapter 3, initiated from Naomi, Naomi says, look, I think this is the best way to tell Boaz. I mean, I don't know about you, but I always think like, why don't you walk up to Boaz during the day and just say, hi, this is Ruth. You met Ruth. Would you marry her? I mean, that's what I would have said. My guess is Naomi's thinking other things and she feels this is the best way to tell Boaz, we really want you to marry her. And, 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 I don't know all what she's thinking, but it is one risky plan. Do you think about what could happen? So he's sleeping there at night, and he is. He's going to wake up around midnight, the text tells us. And there's a woman there beside you. Now, what do you do if you're Boaz? He could have a fling that night, right? We know from antiquity, prostitutes would do these kinds of things sometimes. Could have done that. He also could have said, Ruth, who, who do you think you are? 
coming here and doing this in the middle of the night. You're a foreigner. What is, get out of here. I don't want to have anything to do with you again. Which, could have done that, right? I mean, it was a risk off the charts, folks, when you think about what could have happened. Notice what happens. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. I don't want you, I want, I want you don't, don't, don't miss something here. This is very, very important. So all these grains and there's people around. God in his good grace has Boaz right on the edge where nobody else is. Now, look, that's God that did that. No one else. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now, depending upon what translation you have, mine says, this is the ESV, mine says, spread your wings over your servant. Yours may say, spread your garment over your servant. The, the reason the word wings is translated here is because if you go back to chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz had said, Ruth, you have come to be under the protection of God's wing. It's the same Hebrew word. And in many ways, what Ruth is saying is, you know what you had promised me from chapter 2, Boaz, about God? In his goodness, I would like you to be the means to which that occurs. It's pretty strong stuff. So spread, spread your, uh, spread your, uh, where's my verse here? There it is, verse 9. So spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Notice what Boaz says in response. This is really, really telling. Could have said all kinds of things. But in that moment, he looks at Ruth and he thinks to her himself, wow, this woman is so committed to Naomi, is so committed to continuing the name of those that are dead, that she would take this kind of risk with me in the middle of the night when I could take advantage of her. Right? I mean, that's what could have happened. So look at what he says. The words of affirmation. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He says, Ruth, you're young. You're pretty. You've already given yourself to Naomi, taking a risk going out there and gleaning in the fields. And now you would do this to be with me, an old guy. I mean, I'm 50 plus. You're 25. Wow, Ruth. You are an incredible person. See, let me just explain something. Well, let me read what he says and I'll explain something. Then he goes on to say this. And now, my daughter... Do not fear. Now, if he says do not fear, what does that mean? Well, that she was a little bit frightened, right? Okay, so do not fear. She, I mean, this was not easy for Ruth to take, do. She was scared. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Ruth, 
I don't think for a second that you're trying to look for just a fling in the middle of the night. I know exactly what you're doing. You are committed to Naomi and that name. Now, for a second, I don't want to get too backgroundish with you, but let me just say this, because it's really important to recognize. I think I told you some of this a week or two ago. If we were living in the ancient world, and we were all part of one of the tribes, but we were all part of the same clan, you know, I think I told you before, like, suppose we were all the Finkbeiner clan, somehow related back to somebody named Finkbeiner way back there. And we're all part of this clan. As my clansmen, the closer you get in relation to me, the more you're responsible to protect me and watch over me. So if, I'm, if I die, someone's got to care for my wife. And you're responsible to do that, especially if you're close to me. Well, there was another law, not, re- not I, I, related to that, they call it leveret marriage, and it just means this. I marry Sherry. Now, we have six kids, so this obviously didn't happen. I marry Sherry. We don't have any kids, and I die. What's supposed to happen to Sherry? Because my name's not going to go on. And so what had to happen is my brother or one of my brothers was supposed to marry my wife, and the child that would be born would be considered one that carries my name. They call that levered marriage. That was one thing you read in the, in the Old Testament. The other thing you read about it, about these kinsmen, these redeemers that protect. Well, somehow, by the time you get to the book of Ruth, that stuff has been combined together. And if there's no brother to marry this widow, you try to find the nearest kinsman. You go to a cousin of the guy that died. If you can't, a second cousin, or however far you have to go. And Boaz was number two in line. And so that's what's happening here when she's making the proposal. And here is a woman that is so committed to Naomi that she's willing to say, you know what? I will settle for an older guy. I'll give myself to this man to carry the name. And Boaz knows exactly what she's doing. Look what he goes on to say that. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. I'm that near kinsman. Yet there is a redeemer who is nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. You ever wonder why he didn't send her home right away? Because it was dangerous for a young woman to be wandering out by herself at night. So he says, stay here till morning. But because they're concerned about reputation, look at verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. So it's just very early morning. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came near the threshing floor. I don't want anybody to think anything inappropriate went on here tonight. So I don't want anybody to know you were even here, Ruth. And he said, though, before she left, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. She held it out. He measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? She told her all that the man had done for her, saying, Can you imagine how Naomi felt all night long? How's she doing? Why is she not back yet? What's going on? What did he say? What didn't he say? 
right? What did he do? What didn't he do? She, I mean, she's worried. And she tells her. And then she goes on to say, verse 17, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. In many ways, as you read through chapter 3 and 4, you come to some resolution where you go like, okay, all right, he was nice to her. Matter of fact, he even wanted to marry her. But as you get that point, he raises another issue of tension and say, yeah, 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 he want, he's willing to marry her, but there's a problem. You know what the problem is? There's a closer kinsman redeemer. And if you're like me, you're saying to yourself, bummer. <laughs> you know, I want, I want those two to get together. I know he's older, but come on. He's a man of integrity. I want Boaz and Ruth to get together. Ah, right? And, is that how you're feeling? And Boaz says, I'm willing to do it. And in his heart, I think he's saying, I want to do it. But he's saying, we got protocol. And this guy is a stellar man of integrity all the way through. So they had a custom. And, and, and when you read, when you get into chapter 4, verses 1 to 12, we move from a threshing floor to a city gate. And you say, well, city gate, what do you mean by that? In antiquity, what they would do is gates were configured all kinds of ways. But the gate, when, the, when it was a time of peace, was an area where you would actually meet for legal kinds of issues. And that's, that's what happens here. And Boaz doesn't waste a minute. He's taking care of Roa. When he sent Ruth back with that barley, he was reminding Naomi, Naomi, I will provide for you and Ruth for your entire life. You guys will be safe. And the next morning, he goes to the city gate and he says, hey, um," he watches. He watches for the near kinsman redeemer to come out. He says, hey, uh, Joe. Actually, we don't even know what the guy's name is. And, 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 and actually, the word translated in the Hebrew sometimes could be translated in English, uh, hey, what's your face? I, I'm, really, I'm really colloquializing it, but it can. It can mean something like that. Like, hey, John Doe, or, or something like that. So he just said, hey, yo, uh, you, c- come here a second. Gets him there. He also gathers around some witnesses, some of the elders. Because they're going to have to talk this thing through. And look at how he approaches this guy. It's, it's, it's really quite brilliant. It's in two, two parts. But look at what happens here. And I, I'm watching my time. We'll be okay. Look what happens. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside. And literally, it's friend, but you could also translate it, oh, you know, so-and-so or what's-your-face or something like that. But turn aside. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here too. I mean, Boaz is in control. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, her her husband who is now dead. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. And if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not... Tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. See what happens? Guy comes walking by and says, hey, look, so-and-so. Elimelech, 
And we don't know exactly, but perhaps this is what happened. When Elimelech left the land, perhaps he sold his parcel of land to somebody outside the clan. Okay? Now, what the near kinsman was being asked to do is buy that land back and you can use the land for your own benefit and Naomi's as long as she's alive. And you know what he's thinking? Hey, this isn't so bad. I put some money up for good investment, put the money up front, but I can run crops on it, make money off it. She's a widow. She's going to die. You know? And then guess who gets it? I do. Passes on to me. So he says, yeah, sure. It's a good investment. Yeah, I'll I'll redeem it. And Boaz says, well, there's there's kind of a hitch. Let me me tell you about the hitch here. Verse 8, verse 5. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. In other words, look, um, you're just not looking for a good investment, right? You really want to protect this name, so you'll marry her widow too, won't you? That's what he says. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself. Lest I impair my own inheritance, take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And I don't know what he's thinking. Maybe he's thinking something like this. Look, if I marry Ruth, look, she was barren for 10 years, for heaven's sakes. She may not even be able to have any kids. But what if we just have one kid coming out of this thing, and that's it, and it goes in his name, and I never have another kid myself. That means all my stuff goes, no, 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 no. I can't redeem it. Maybe that's what he's thinking. I don't know. Something like that. But he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Now, there was a custom in former times in Israel, verse 7, concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal, gave it to the other, and this was the manner attested in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon, also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses today. Then all the people who were there said, we are witnesses. And Boaz said, I will marry her. I will buy that land. I will perpetuate their name. I'll do it all. And they all say, okay, we're witnesses. Then they look at him and they say, man, may God bless you. Man, may he bless your name in the city. And may he take Ruth and may he make her as fertile as fertile can be. And may you have babies to the, you know, the chickens come home or whatever they say. Or whatever. You know, they probably didn't say it quite that way in antiquity. But, but that's the idea. May she be fertile. And he even goes back and he talks about Perez and, and, and just as just as Judah had children through Perez, which have been blessed, may that happen with, with you too. Now, you know, Perez, that whole thing was a little bit unusual too, wasn't it, with Judah? You know, because that's that, a strange. But, but I think what all he's saying is, look, just as God blessed there, how much more will he bless when there's a man of integrity doing it in the right way? Perhaps that's what he's saying. All right. There was two major problems. We started out, we were wondering, okay, no, okay, no, wait, 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 wait. 
what will Boaz say? It's like, will he go for this thing or not go for this thing? This could be a catastrophe. And he goes for it. Then we said, okay, okay, that's real good. That's real good. But what about this near, nearer guy? What's he going to do? And praise the Lord. He says no. So Boaz can marry her. But there's a third problem. Ruth was married for 10 years and never had any children. Percentages would say that she's barren for life, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that's kind of what you're thinking. She couldn't have him for 10 years. And to talk about anything about perpetuating family, you kind of like have to have babies to do that, don't you? And the question is, how is that going to happen? Okay, Boaz has been brought together with Ruth, but like, she's always been barren. Now what? And now everything shifts to the whole issue of the birth. Look what, the, look what verse 13 says. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He went into her. And what does the next text say? And the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. This is only the second time in the book of Ruth where from the narrator's voice, God is the subject. And he says, he doesn't say this time. Back in chapter 2, he said, and it happened that she came upon the field of Boaz. He doesn't want you to have any questions this time. And he says, you know what? This woman that could not bear, God, actor, steps in and makes sure that she can conceive. That's God. Plain and simple. The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Talking about that baby. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nurser of your old age, for your daughter-in-law loves you, who is more to you than seven sons and has given birth to him. In antiquity, it's always about having sons to continue the name. But the women of the city, who back in chapter 1, when they first saw Naomi, they said, is that Naomi? Right? Are now saying, Ruth is better to you than seven sons. Wow. What a change, folks. What a change. Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son shall be born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, which means literally, folks, servant. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, I, I want you to think with me because I'm now at the end. We did get through it. Can you believe it? I want you to think about a lot, several things here. One of the things that's really, really important to think about when you read stories is to compare and contrast the beginning with the end. When you do this in, in this story, when you go back to chapter 1 and compare it with chapter 4, what you find is you come to the end of chapter 1 and Naomi is embittered. She feels her life is over. She feels there is no hope. There is no direction. Just, she's just, just call me bitter. That's it. That's it. It's finished. She didn't even imagine at that point that children would be possible in this whole thing. She just wanted food. 
And you get to the end of chapter 4. She's got, got her grand, she got Obed on her lap. She's rejoicing. Everybody around her is rejoicing. And they're saying, this young man, while you're still alive, Naomi, he will provide and protect for you. His name is Obed. This is a happy ending, isn't it? When you compare the beginning with the end. But I want you to do something else with me. I want you to compare this story with the backdrop of the book of Judges. Remember what we said? Several times repeated in the book of Judges is this refrain. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes because there was no king in Israel, right? And you come to the book of Ruth and for the first time you find a whole bunch of people that are doing that which is right in the eyes of God. A man and a woman alone in the darkness in the middle of the night. They could do anything sexually they wanted. And both stand on their integrity. God, give us those kinds of young people today, right? And, 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 and so on this backdrop of every man did that which was right in his own eyes, you have people stepping up on the scene and they are pure through and through. And they love through and through. And they have integrity through and through. And you say, wow, look at what God's doing. There was no king in Israel. You know what's interesting to me? When Naomi died, she died happy, only knowing Obed. But the narrator knew more than Naomi knew. And that's why he says, oh, by the way, Obed was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. You see what he says? God, if you ask Naomi, is God gracious? You know what she'd say? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I thought my life was over. God is gracious. But you know what I want to tell you? You know what the narrator would want to tell Naomi? Naomi, you don't know the half of it. You died. And King David came on the scene. David. He's the ultimate king. Human king. He, he's the guy. There were promises given to him about, about a future king that would come. And that's all through David. David's the guy. So the narrator is so happy saying, yes, Naomi, God's more gracious than you could possibly imagine. But I want to say the narrator didn't know the half of it. Did he? Because you and I keep reading our Bible. And we come over to Matthew chapter 1 and we follow a genealogy and it runs through these guys and it runs all the way down to Jesus Christ himself. And so the narrator says, God's more gracious than you could possibly imagine, Naomi. And I say to the narrator, God's more gracious than you know. Isn't that true? That's our God. When times are the bleakest and there seems to be no hope, takes a couple people that live in integrity. Takes a woman who's made bad choices. And in his incredible grace, he turns things around in his life. He points it to David, which ultimately points to Jesus Christ. Tell me God is not gracious. You can't say that. And folks, I believe this with all my heart. I believe when we get to heaven, 
and God unveils his story and we learn more of the cross and all that is entailed there. And then we hear all about how he's just playing out his purposes in history. We're going to say, wow. You, you were much better to me than I even knew. Matter of fact, God, you did things with people that came after me and people I met that I never even knew about. And God's going to say, yeah, yeah. Because I am grace through and through. I am good through and through. So I don't know where you are in your life. Maybe you're in Naomi's situation in chapter one. You know about the cross in a way that they never knew. We don't have to look for, they had to look forward to God's goodness. We get to look back, right? And I can tell you this, folks. God is more gracious than you and I can ever imagine. I believe that with all my heart. And we won't know that till glory. We hit, well, we know it now to a point, of course. We'll get to glory and we're going to say like, you are Believe with all my heart. And in the process, we can be people of hope. And in the process, we should be people that live by our integrity. And however God wants to use us, whatever he wants to do, we may never hear the end of the story, even when we die, we'll hear it one day. And we should stay the course. I love that verse in Ephesians 3 where Paul gets to the end of Ephesians 3 and he says, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundant above all that you could ask or think. How can you read the book of Ruth and not believe that? That is the God we serve. And we are at the time of the year when we bask in the incarnation. Jesus has come. God is here. Things will never be the same because of his son. And if you're with us today and you don't know Christ as your savior, man, with all my heart, I beg you to come to him because that is God's greatest expression of grace. If you do know him, don't ever forget how good he is. You don't have to just look forward. You can look back. Let's pray.